The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity FM Radio. I'm Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Reverend Dan Beckett. And together we discuss ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth and your recovery journey. And today's show is an interactive discussion, so if you're listening live, you can call in with your comments and questions. The number is 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. And if you're on Facebook, you can also connect with us on our page, Spirit of Recovery, and share your thoughts, comments, and questions there. So today's show, anxiety, hypervigilance, and nervous energy. You know, a lot of people enter recovery with an excess of energy, not always knowing where to put it. And we exhaust ourselves over committing, trying to make up for lost time. And this has been called frantic sobriety. So today we want to talk about how to use all that energy to create a life that works right here and right now, one day at a time. And we will do that by first acknowledging this excess or frantic energy and then remembering the truth of who we are and the peace that is deep within us. And it's by touching this peace within and living from that experience that we find productive ways to use our energy one day at a time. So Lonnie, I'm guessing that you have some personal experience with frantic sobriety. Tell us about that. I have lots of, you know, when I was reflecting on this, I, um, I think that it went way back before I got clean. You know, I, I was reflecting on how as a child I was always busy, always had to have something to do, always active, um, you know, and I was in, involved in sports and I physical labor and, and, you know, I grew up on a farm. So fishing and hunting and building things. And, you know, this, this anxiety level that ran under everything, this nervous energy that was driven by adrenaline always had me in motion. And I think that that's a piece of what I was medicating with the uh, pills and the, and the alcohol is, is just, just to relax, you know, just one to relax, just to take the edge off, just to chill, you know? And so I was running around probably prior to the actual addiction setting in, being overcommitted and doing a number of different things in my life and, and scattering this nervous energy every direction. And, um, and you know, with the, the way that addiction works, then it, one became two and two became three and 
pretty soon that was my major activity. Yeah, what it sounds like, and uh, this has been my experience as well, what it sounds like is whatever it is that we are uh, using our addictive substance or behavior to push down, uh, when we get into recovery, we all of a sudden get that thing in great amounts, whatever that might be. So what I heard you saying was that if if you were using alcohol, say, to uh, relax and sort of try to have some downtime from all that frantic busyness, that when you got into recovery, all that busyness sort of uh, came up in great amounts uh, without the substance there to manage it. Does that sound about right? Well, it did, but I kind of went through some stages because the first stage I went through was panic. You know, I mean, the weekend I decided that I wasn't going to be drinking anymore. Um, I thought, but what am I going to do? Because every single thing I ever did for years had, you know, the first thought was, well, what am I going to drink while I'm doing it? Mm -hmm. And the second thought is, and how long am I going to do this? You know, therefore, how much alcohol do I need, you know, to make sure that I'm well supplied? And so when I'm thinking about what am I going to do, I got a whole weekend and I'm not going to be doing any of my normal activities, not going to be hanging out with any of the normal folks I hang out with and, you know, kick back and, and, you know, drink a few. So what am I going to do? And so one of the funny stories I have is I went out that that uh, that same week, that week, before I realized that I was going to have a whole new life, I went out that week to a craft store and I bought about $200 worth of fabric paint and T-shirts and brushes and glitter and all that stuff. I decided, well, I was going to have to have a hobby. So that was going to be it. And, you know, when it was all said and done, I painted exactly one T-shirt. <laughs> But I had this I had this concept that I have to have something to do. I have to have something to do. What am I going to do? Yeah, so that 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 doing energy uh, that you described as being present from a long time ago, you know, long before um, any kind of act, active addiction, sounds like it just sort of showed up loud and clear. Especially it did for when me. You got sober. Yeah, and so you know, it was a real challenge um, at that point. Because I, I was driven by fear. You know, it talks about that in the book. It says driven by a hundred forms of fear. And, um, you know, I can remember wanting to do good. You know, I turned over a new life, a new leaf, and I was going to have a new life. And so I didn't want to repeat the same behaviors I had before, you know, overcommitting and then not delivering, for example, um, in jobs and, and with friends and things like that. And and uh, I can remember worrying about that and and not knowing how to say no, and we've talked about that before as a piece of the addiction, uh, saying yes to anything that came my way. And of course, with the ego underpinnings, I, I want to feel like I'm somebody because I didn't have any idea that I was already somebody. Then I would say yes to, to be in positions of authority or responsibility or what have you, thus increasing my anxiety level. I had all this nervous energy to burn, but I overcommitted, which created more anxiety. Yeah, it's almost like that uh, self-fulfilling prophecy concept or from the book of Job, that, that which I feared is what has come upon me. Yes. I think that is an ancient human experience. I can totally identify with that. I know for me, a uh, big part of my uh, drinking alcohol use was also to kind of relax and be able to put the world on pause, you know, to... Uh, to feel okay for a little while, to not feel all, um, for me, it was, uh, 
you know, just sort of this underlying anxiety and concern about everything that was going on, even though I don't believe that I was aware of it. And I don't think that I presented that way. I don't think I showed that on the outside of me. But looking back on it now, I can see that I, I did carry sort of a constant list of concerns and fears. And one thing that uh, drinking helped me with when it was still working was to just be able to relax and to uh, at least somewhat let go of those things because you know alcohol will shrink our world so to speak that's why um, we can you know if there's a few friends together and we're drinking we can get really loud and obnoxious and not realize that that's what we're doing because our world is just us we're in this tiny little insular comfy box that uh, alcohol helps create. And it did that for me as an individual as well. So it al allowed me to sort of leave all the worldly clamors, if you will, behind. And so when I got into recovery, um, I also wasn't quite sure what to do with my time. I remember I spent a lot of time um, doing things, simple things like playing games on my phone, you know, just sort of constantly, I, I thought, you know, I'm not sure if this is a really good thing to be doing or, or if this is a, a healthy activity, but I did know it's more healthy than drinking. And so I'm going to let it, I'm going to stop right there and, and let it be okay because it was absolutely better than drinking. And looking back, that was a very reasonable thing for me to conclude because I was just taking the first steps on a road. You know, it's okay. The, the definition of winning, if you will, during that time for me of early sobriety is if I went to bed and I hadn't taken a drink, no matter what else happened, I won. And that's all that mattered. And of course, it doesn't stay that way forever. It doesn't need to. But, but at that time, that worked really well. So if I use my excess energy um, playing games on my phone or on the computer or whatever it might be, um, that helped me get through that time until I could figure out how to harness it. Because up till then, I was using alcohol just to kind of deplete it, if you will, or disperse it. And now all of a sudden, there it was. I think you bring up a really good point because, you know, I think that those of us that have addictions or have had addictions of any type have this awesome superpower called obsession. Yes. And another way of saying that is to call it focus. Mm -hmm. Only, at least for me, when I first um, tried to turn my life around, I didn't have any focus. You know, and I was told my focus needed to be go to meetings, you know, focus on the program, learn the steps, do what you're told, you know, follow suggestions. And of course, that lasted for about 10 minutes at a time because with <laughs> all this extra uh, energy, mental energy buzzing around, you know, I had this racing mind and, and this active um, uh, imagination, I couldn't stay focused. And I think that was really the problem for me was that, that if I could harness this, as you said, and get it all headed in the same direction, things could be accomplished. But my attention span was pretty darn short. Yeah, I learned somewhere along the way that um, it, it is a fact of spiritual growth. Now, I did not know this at the time, but I can definitely see it looking back. I know this is true. It's a fact of spiritual growth that um, as we resolve things within us, as we resolve uh, blocks or conflicts or whatever it might be that has uh, held us in a place 
of um, held us back or held us in a place of conflict. When we resolve those things, we release a tremendous amount of energy because it takes a lot of energy to carry resentments, to worry about things. You know, all, all of these, what we in the program might call character flaws, eat up a whole bunch of energy. And when we can get to a place where we're resolving them, and I believe that, um, you know, even on day one of making the decision and following through to get into sobriety, we have already made a change that is releasing right away a whole bunch of energy. And so it has become kind of an ongoing um, uh, opportunity, I suppose, because even the, the energy that was released for me early in sobriety, that wasn't the only time that that's happened. You know, as I walk this path and as I do my inner work and as I work my program and uh, move further down the, the path of recovery, th this happens in cycles. Uh, it, it'll happen now even, and I'm equally unaware today of what might be driving it. For example, I woke up in the middle of the night last night. Um, I have a project at my house that I want to do. And then I had made some drawings, something I need to build up in the attic. I had some drawings. I could not stop thinking about that project going over and over it in my mind. You know, this was as recent as yesterday, <laughs> as, as at 2.30 this morning, this was happening. So I welcome these things now as a, you know, unknown opportunity. Um, energy has been released. I'm going to call it good. It's good when I call it good, but it, it's still um, not easy. It's not difficult. It's very uncomfortable uh, to have all this excess energy and not know what to do with it. Well, and I think that spans um, physical and mental and emotional and probably spiritual. You know, that the, the energy is released at a, ver a variety of different places. I, too, got into video games um, because it could capture my attention and keep me focused. And I did not have to think about all the other things that were not working in my life at that yeah. moment in time. You know, and I also found that when I got that under control and I quit obsessing about that, something else would take its place. And so for a long time, it was kind of like that game Whack-A-Mole. You know, yes. it pops up over here and you catch it there and then it, something else pops up over here, you know. And, and the things that I felt were capturing my attention, i.e. the energy, were, were like that. They were rotating and they weren't necessarily good because I made decisions around them that put me in situations that I really didn't need to be in, you know, buying houses and cars and, you know, relationships and different things like that, that it, it takes a while to untangle if you decide that that wasn't the decision that should have been made. And so, you know, um, for me, it was really trying to find what do I need to focus on? What should be my focus? Because when people said the program or spiritual growth or your relationship with God, that was all so nebulous. I just really couldn't get my hands around that. Yeah, I'm, and I'm remembering now and realizing the wisdom underneath that advice that we pro probably all have gotten early in sobriety. Don't make any big decisions. Don't make any big changes, especially in the first year. Uh and it's that frantic energy that we have that's, you know, I got to do something. What am I going to do? Should I move, uh, get a job, get married, or maybe I'll just do all three. Uh, maybe do none of the above so that we can sit with this discomfort and find our way through it instead of creating yet another something 
you know, if it's not drinking, it could be something different, creating yet another something to uh, avoid it or, or mask it or, you know, put it off till later or any of those other things that, that we can be so good at. That's a really, really good observation. And the other thing I didn't really understand was everybody's focus on this 24 hours. Yeah. You know, I, I <laughs> planned way out into the future. You know, I mean, every, every management class I ever went to talked about having goals and objectives and they weren't for today. They were for five years from now. And you know, the, the, how the department's going to unfold and you know, all of those kind of things. And I had no concept of how to stay in the moment. Yeah. I, I definitely had to learn that. I distinctly remember at about Six months sober, uh, speaking with some friends outside a meeting afterward, some friends with a couple decades of sobriety and saying, so, um, you know, when do I get to kind of stop this whole one day at a time focus? Because <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, you do it for a while, you get done, it's checked off. And they just looked at me with this bemused expression and smiled. And, and the one fellow said, I'm doing it today. I do it every day. This is how I live. It's a wonderful way to live. And I learned, okay, there's there's more to be revealed for me here and now. But let me switch gears. So now that we understand what the challenge is, you know, in, in recovery, we want to acknowledge the problem but not stay in it. Uh, now that we know the challenge of this excess energy, what is the solution? Well, in unity, we affirm that we have at our core the spark of the divine and that this is the truth of who we really are. And, and so, this is what allows us to experience a level of peace that, quote, passes all understanding as that famous Bible passage goes. So, you know, one of the things that they taught in 12 step and it wasn't as effective for me, but an effective way to remember and experience that peace is to take a few minutes to turn within. And this is a simple kind of mindfulness meditation that is what we wanna focus on today. Yeah, and taking a moment to turn within, which I agree is not a simple thing to do, uh, to touch that peace that's within us, this, this is what I have found allows us to focus our energy in more productive ways. And so what, what is this inner peace and how can we engage it to focus our energy in support of our recovery? That is a great question. What is this peace? You know, it took me a very long time to first of all, feel like I had any uh, concept of control in my life. After all, I had been told I was powerless and then my whole paradigm had shifted. And so, you know, I, I tried the meditations that I was told, um, but they weren't a turn within. And so I, I, I could find moments of peace. I would find a moment of peace in church. I would find a moment in, of peace in a 12-step in a meeting. I would find a moment of peace taking a walk with my sponsor. I would find these moments of peace, but it was, it was fleeting. I think that's really challenging for us all. That's what I've observed, and I know in my personal experience, I also found it challenging. I'm pretty good at ideas and concepts. I can get how something works. But that's not what this is about at all. The, you know, the, when we talk about meditation, which, you know, I'll just call that a fancy word that just means, uh, you know, relaxing and letting right now be enough might be an alternate description. Um, I know that 
having that experience is what made the difference for me in my recovery. You know, how much I did or didn't understand about it, that's a whole other other question. I heard someone say once something that really helped me get at this. And I think that for each of us, it, it's a little bit different. We can't, I can't listen to what you did exactly and then do exactly the same thing and have exactly the same result. I kind of have to find my own way based on what I'm hearing from a lot of people who have walked the path ahead of me, which again, we're talking about the power of the group. But somebody said once, I would rather be fishing and thinking about God than sitting in church and thinking about fishing. And what that told me was what's important is where, what, where is my head? You know, what is the experience that I'm having? Not where am I? Not am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Not, um, well, it worked for my friend and so it must work for me. I better keep trying it till it does work. Hey, it might be something completely different. Maybe I need to sit on the bank and fish in order to have that experience of the peace that's within me. But maybe my friend gets it at church. So I guess what I'm saying is it, it's different for all of us. Um, I had to kind of find it in my own way by listening to what a lot of people were saying and taking a little bit here and a little bit there and trying some different things. Definitely trial and error for me. Oh, it was definitely trial and error for me as well. I used to call it turning over rocks, mm. you know, um, <laughs> because, you know, looking for something, I was looking for this piece and I would, um, I would try what this person said. Well, they, they read the 24 hour book, they sit for a half an hour, they do whatever and, and they have peace. Okay. So I tried that a while at, I didn't really get anything out of that except irritated that I was spending all this time on something I wasn't getting anything out of. Somebody else said, oh, it's in church. And so I went there. And so somebody else said, no, it's in the Buddhist meditation. And somebody else said, no, it's in the sweat lodge, you know? And so I tried a lot of different uh, experiences that other people described in search of this piece. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was just thinking of, it's a beautiful description of the different, um, it's almost advice. Even if, even if someone is telling me about something, they're not intending it to be advice. I can receive it as advice. You know, well, I do this, or like you said, this one's in the church or this one's in, in this, um, you know, doing native American stuff and this other one's doing some other Eastern kind of stuff. And I'm honestly not sure exactly how I came upon it. I think it was a little, a little bit and a little piece at a time. And certainly doing what I was taught, you know, taking a few minutes, literally taking a few minutes to sit quietly, to turn my attention toward what is transpiring within me. I heard again recently that um, I cannot begin to get a sense of what's going on with my thinking until I have a sense of what's going on in my body. Um, and so just to do the simplest thing, you know, notice the motion of my breath. It was just infuriatingly simple. It was annoyingly simple. It was easy. It was simple, but not easy. That's the phrase. Um, but when I could find the willingness to do it, I really feel like I got a little something each time I did that. And I feel like these things kind of built up over time. I stumbled on it sometimes. I see it more in hindsight than at the time. It, but it does work. You know, and you reminded me, um, mine started from 
from a place of scheduling. <clears throat> People said, oh, you have to get up a half hour earlier in the morning and do this. And at that point, I was living by kind of a rigid schedule anyway to try to get some control over my busyness. Um, you know, everything was on a calendar and I had days when I had, <clears throat> excuse me, family work, family time. And I had times when I had work time and I had times when I had play time. And I had all that mapped out and I had times for meditation and prayer time as well. And one of the things that I found for me is that it doesn't work as well if it's scheduled. Allowing time is one thing, but scheduling time to say, okay, God, I'm here. Now what? <laughs> you know, didn't yes. really didn't really seem to make the connection I was looking for. Yeah, that didn't work for me either, although I know that that does work for some people. You know, the, the Zen tradition, <laughs> for example, is a very regimented and structured tradition, but that's just one of a meditation tradition. There are many others. And I think I'm like you in this way that, um, you know, I can't kind of mandate uh, now is the time where I'm going to do this or do that. I know that about myself just in general. I, I don't like too much structure. I seem to kind of rebel against structure. I sometimes like to make a plan or a structure for myself seemingly so that I can throw it out the window. It has a purpose in helping me plan, but yeah, I can't sit down at the same time every day and do the same meditation in the same place, even though I have been told by people that you have to do that. I don't believe that's true. I think that works really, really well for some people. And I think that there's some of us who have to stumble on it as we go. Well, I think you pointed out that some of it is making ourselves ready to have this experience more than trying to force having the experience. You know, and for yeah, me, yeah I, I agree with that totally. I've just sort of what you said just sort of threw me into a, 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 a place of, I, yes, I believe that that's true. And what's frustrating for me about it is how do you teach this? How do you write it down? How do you tell someone else, you know, how to do it? It's easy to say, um, okay, at eight o'clock every morning you get up and here's your meditation thing. And then here's what you do. And you do it for 20 minutes and then you move on. Um, how do you teach just stay open to the truth of the presence of God in and through all things and experience it as it comes up in front of you? I mean, I sound like a lunatic, but that's exactly what works for me. Well, and I think that's why we share experience, strength, and hope is because from that, we learn how to have our own experience. So um, I think that that's a great topic for our second half here of the show because we're getting really close to time for the break. And when we do return, we were going to open the phone lines for callers, and we look forward to you adding your comments or thoughts to our discussion. We'll continue the conversation. And the number is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. And next, we will, of course, move into the solution. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. 
Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you enjoy our programming, we invite you to support it by visiting unityonlineradio.org and clicking on Donate Now. Help us continue to provide inspiring content to everyone. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. God is extravagant supply. Get that, extravagant. God is extravagant supply. He brings forth the best robe. He spreads a banquet table, as we saw last night, with good things on which we may feast. He overflows our cup. He opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing. And then this is what that Unity Correspondence Course said. Why are you satisfied with such meager living when you may have so much? To find out more about Unity teachings, visit unity.org. Unity is proud to announce the first-ever New Thought Walden Awards, honoring 27 leaders who are helping to change the world. Some are well-known, but most are unsung heroes. They care about spirituality, healing, interfaith understanding, caring for the earth, and social activism. Read about them in the September-October edition of Unity Magazine, or go online to waldenawards.com. Congratulations to all. If you're looking to deepen your spiritual journey, Unity Magazine is your go-to source for information and inspiration. It's been beautifully redesigned and packed with interesting articles and compelling interviews from today's spiritual thought leaders. You'll find science, spirituality, and healing with a look at Eastern philosophies, meditation, as well as completely new ways to interpret the Bible. Plus, reviews on the latest spiritual books and music. Get a free trial issue at unitymagazine.org. Tune into Everyday Attraction with Ray Zander every Friday at 12 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio. Take a deep dive into the teachings of Abraham and discover how to make the law of attraction work for you in your life. Each week, Ray goes into the heart of understanding the power of our emotions and how to become conscious co-creators. Learn how to release resistant thoughts and live life to the fullest. Find out more at everydayattraction.com. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Well, welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We're going to resume our discussion in just a moment, but first we want to let you know that we're opening the lines for callers. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. 
So prior to our break, we were discussing this frantic sobriety and all this excess mental, emotional, and physical energy that we have, and how do we ever come to peace with that? So we've got this challenge of all this excess energy, and we talked briefly about how the solution is to turn within to experience the peace at the core of who we are. But how exactly can we use meditation to focus our energy in healthier ways? That is a great question, and I think that (laughs) I feel like I have no idea and that I have done it uh, both at the same time. I'm not sure how that that can be the case, just one of those paradoxes, I suppose, of recovery or spiritual growth. Um, Like we were speaking of before the break, in many ways, I stumbled on it. And I stumbled on it by... um, you know, being open and willing, I think, to have those experiences uh, and to try different things that I was hearing from different people, including, you know, things that don't work so well for me and some things that do work really well for me. So, for example, even though I will often say that a structured sitting meditation does not work very well for me, I've still gotten a lot out of a sitting meditation. I just can't sustain it over a long period of time. It's not the broad solution for me. But those times when I have done it, I feel like it has allowed me to have that experience of peace within that has this um, tremendous and really amazing, almost spooky, calming effect that lets me think more clearly, um, understand more clearly what is mine to do, so kind of a guidance piece of it too, and then to do whatever it is that I'm doing uh, with you know s- somewhat less of that frantic kind of energy, somewhat less of that worry and concern. And so my first answer to how do we do this? Well, we just sort of follow the steps, go through the motions and sit and do a simple mindfulness or um, insight style meditation, even if it's only for a couple minutes here or there. Uh, It's like, like so many powerful aspects of spiritual growth. It seems like nothing. But it's not nothing. It's extremely powerful. You know, I was kind of jump-started into, um, you know, I was on this search. I was about a year and a half clean and sober, and I was diagnosed with cancer. And um, I was terrified. I had no idea what that meant. My uh, grandmother had died of cancer. I didn't, hadn't, and I grew up in a medical family, and so... I, my imagination had plenty of, to work with, you know, in terms of what could this mean and where, where am I going with this and what do I need to do? And the upshot of all of that was I decided I had to get serious and now with, um, with this spiritual growth stuff. And so I, I dove into doing these various things. But what happened was that once I was uh, home from the hospital, I had two surgeries and an ablation, um, I was disconnected. My brain thought I was one person, my body says, you want to do what? (laughs) Because my brain still had all of that mental energy and was planning on spending it doing this and this and that, and my body was not up to it. And I don't mean just from the surgery. It took me two years to get back on my feet after that surgery with the medication changes and all of that kind of thing. And so I spent a lot, lot, lot of time in bed and I had my books with me and I had, you know, uh, 
spiritual music with me and all of this kind of stuff. And the first thing I found some peace with was music. I had I had um, um, John Michael Talbot, I think was the name of the author, the, of the artist that I played over and over and over and over again. And he puts Bible verses to music. And so that would give me a level of peace. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and that would be peaceful and soothing and I would go be, be able to go back to sleep. Um, but the next thing that happened was I read a book. And the book that I read um, is not known in metaphysical circles necessarily, but it was uh, Love, Medicine, and Miracles by Bernie Siegel. Yeah. It was very popular back in the 70s, I think, or, or so. And um, this was in the 90s when I, when I was diagnosed. And in that book, he talked about visualizations. And he talked about it in a way that was different than anything I heard from anybody else. He talked about laying in a pool of light and feeling that light permeate your skin and soak into the inside of your body. That was different than I heard about laying on a sunlit beach, which was one of the um, one of the meditations that that was given to me in the program. And so I started practicing that. And when I practiced that, I had longer and longer moments of peace than I had had before. It's, it's what I'm hearing, and this is a beautiful thing, is that you found something that worked really well for you. And it was different than what others had said, although in a way it was just a variation on some things that had been said. But I think that that's really powerful, that idea of visualization as meditation. Like, well, I don't know how to meditate. I don't like meditating. I can't sit still. Oh, but I can close my eyes and picture myself you know, soaring in a glider or, or as a bird and, and just seeing, okay, so what would I see below me if I did that? I might see some fields and there's a river and I can follow the river for a while. That To me, uh, that is a kind of meditate that gets at that same place. As you said, you were able to experience a sense of peace by using that visualization. I think that's a wonderful thing. You, it, it, it's almost like you're you're sharing with us an example of how you stumbled on it. Exactly. You're flat on your back. You're listening to music. You're like, okay, what's next? And then you encounter this thing. Boom, there it is. And that works. And I'm, I think music too. I'm really glad that you mentioned that. Um, music, while it's not strictly a meditation, I think it's something that can have a, a, a tremendous effect on my mind and uh, so maybe I don't want to sit and meditate, but maybe I can sit and put on, you know, whatever it is um, that helps me to feel peaceful and soothed. I think that's a great practice. It's a great way to begin to discover or to rediscover that peace that's inside of us. And the, the theme here is that I'm so excited about stumbling upon it. Yes, that's what that's absolutely what I have done is stumbled on it. Well, so then the task becomes to reproduce it. Gee, I found it once. What, what did I do? <laughs> how did how, now, what was it I did? And to be able to reproduce that. Now, I had plenty of experience given that it took me almost two years to get back on my feet, you know, that I'm going to be here. Okay, let's do that again. And I so I gained by practice I, I was able to uh, get into that space uh, in less time and stay there longer, which um, helped, it helped calm everything down. You know, being able to be in this uh, no time zone where time and space don't seem to matter, don't seem to exist, 
um, that for me is where that place of peace, what it feels like to me, um, where I've lost lost a connection to the outside world, if you will, in terms of, um, gee, what time is it? And, and uh, you know, what, where am I? I found that um, in order to reproduce or to, you know, be able to continue a, um, a practice or a way of finding that peace, uh, I had to learn to create conditions for it. So rather than feeling like I had a go-to way to uh, make it happen, you know, some steps. And, and, and there are some, and there are things that help me a lot. But more than that, especially early on, I kind of figured out that uh, if I could create the conditions for an experience of the divine, for an experience of that inner peace, that uh, inevitably I could have that experience. You know, part of that is setting an intention. Uh, part of that is being aware, you know, watching for the opportunities so that when the door opened, I could walk through it. And some ways that I would create those conditions, and, and this is very personal to my, the way that I'm wired, you know, to my personality. It was really important to me to um, make sure that I had downtime in my schedule, um, more than just a little bit. You know, and it's it's changed over time, and I can do a lot now, but I still need to have a um, decent amount of downtime. And and for me, downtime is time where there's nothing in particular on my schedule. There's certainly nowhere I need to be. There's nothing that needs to get checked off on a to-do list. Now, I may be doing things, but there, there are things that come up in the moment things that I really want to do. There's, there can be no have to, need to, or shoulds um, for me when I talk about downtime. And I, I, I do this to this day. I did that yesterday. And it continues to be really important. And when I do that, I notice I, I'm creating the condition for a sense of peace, for a sense of remembering who we really are. And I found that very helpful. So I'm hearing that you're leaving room in your schedule for spontaneity. Uh, yes. Yeah, you know, and, and, I, and more being than doing. Yeah. 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 Well, and that was something I was always told also that I'm a human doing rather than a human being. And right. I had to learn to become, <laughs> you know, so somebody say, well, what are you doing? I'm, I'm being, <laughs> I wasn't doing anything. I was just sitting there, you know, it was, but you know, it takes a whole change of mindset. At yeah. least it did for me. And it, you know, I feel like I was kind of slow to catch on in some ways because it was a long time before I realized that part of what created the condition for me was to turn within as opposed to having all the right external circumstances, you know, the right room, the right chair, the right candle, the right music, you know, all of those kinds of things um, to find a, a method of becoming comfortable in my body to become attentive to what my mind is doing, and then to actually focus on um, the internal peace that I'm seeking. Um, you know, it, it took a long time for me to turn that corner. Yeah, this is reminding me, and I may have shared this before, you know, I'm a, I like to surf in the ocean. I'm a very casual surfer, uh, not a professional surfer, but I learned 
to meditate, I learned to touch uh, the spirit within exactly the same way I learned to surf, which is one second at a time. You know, one experience, one moment. In surfing, it's, you know, paddle, 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 stand up, fall down. Okay, that's a victory. Even if I was up for one second, I just, I had the experience again one more time. It's easier to find it the more that I've had it. And and when I uh, think about downtime, downtime for me is just a form of um, self-care. And I learned some other ways to take care of myself. Again, this is all under the theme of creating the conditions uh, for peace to occur. Um, I might do something like uh, during some downtime, make a plan to go get uh, what it, something that I really, really like to eat, something healthy, right? Not, not something unhealthy or at least reasonably healthy. Um, that is a way that I can practice self-care, you know, not on a schedule, not, well, I need to be there at 12 and I need to be done by 1230. No, um, I feel like doing this. I can get in the car. I can go do it. I don't really need to look at my watch. Another thing that I do along those lines is I will schedule a massage. I was taught uh, early on uh, somewhere along the line that this spiritual growth work, uh, has a lot to do with our body or vice versa. You know, our, our physical being um, is a part of this. This is not just like a mental slash spiritual thing. It's a, it's a whole, it's a whole experience thing, which includes our body. And so if we are doing our spiritual work, if we are turning within, noticing the patterns of our thinking, uh, noticing our breath, uh, watching for, listening for that still small voice, if you will, that that spark of the divine within. Um, we're going to start to release things within us, and it's going to come through our body. So I was advised, uh, it's very wise to get uh, massage, to get uh, something that's working our bodies as well along the way. And I, I found that to be super helpful. And that is another way that I can create the conditions for peace by practicing self-care uh, like that. You know, I think so. a little bit of self-knowledge helps with this. For example, I was, um, I always thought that I liked a lot of people to be at a party, to be in an environment, to be in a group with constant stimulation, not recognizing that I was calming the anxiety with what I was drinking at those gatherings. And once I got clean and sober, it's like, oh my God, you know, I'm an introvert. I can't, I need the downtime you're talking about, but I need some alone time. I need some processing time. I need some space. And not knowing that in early recovery, I put myself constantly in meetings, constantly in groups. Let's go out to dinner, the meeting before the meeting, the meeting after the meeting, you know, church all day long, you know, all of those kind of things, not knowing that I was really not taking care of myself because that was somebody else's definition of taking care of myself, of self-care. Yeah, I can see that. And, and also as an introvert myself, I completely identify with it. Processing time. That's a great phrase. I, I also absolutely need that. And one thing I noticed that I found really helpful about uh, a 12-step program is, you know, we have our sayings. And in, in my home group, the sayings were on the wall with a lot of other things on the wall. But the, the saying that we have, easy does it, and the saying we have one day at a time, those both really supported this notion in me, this realization that I need downtime, that I need 
to uh, explicit self-care that I need processing time. I need time where there's nowhere that I need to be, nothing that I need to do. Um, and to see it reinforced by program statements really helped me to to allow it to be okay because I think that there was a part of me um, and there really isn't so much anymore, um, but there was a part of me that thought, well, it, you know, if I'm not doing something, it's not okay. You know, I'm doing nothing. I'm not moving the ball down the field. You know, it's, I'm wait quote, wasting time. Um, and I found the complete opposite to be true that when I'm seemingly doing nothing, um, there's a whole bunch of progress happening, uh, you know, kind of under the surface with work projects, with relationships, with my spiritual growth, with all kinds of things. It's a, a great analogy that I heard. It sticks with me because it's a visual image. Is that if you're, if you have a bow and arrow and you're going to shoot the arrow, the very first thing that you need to do is pull the bowstring back. Well, what is that? It's nothing. Not only is it nothing, it's the opposite you're moving the arrow backwards. You're supposed to move it forward really, really fast. Why are you moving it backwards really, really slow? Because that is what's going to allow it to move forward really, really fast. And I've found that exact dynamic with uh, the balance between my doing, my work in the world, whatever it might be, and my downtime and my self-care. It's a critical piece of it. It's not just resting, it's preparing. I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, I think of that time also as integration because, you know, I, um, I don't think we get our spiritual growth just from one angle or from one place or one book or one lecture or one talk or one guru, you know, and for me, every time I have a realization or an understanding or a new idea about who, I wonder how that works in my life. I have to test it. It seems like I test it backwards against all the other things that I think I know about this and go, does this work? Is this fit? How does this, how does this support me? How does it not? You know, it does this seem to be true. Now my process has gotten a lot shorter. It used to be a whole lot of mental gyrations, but, and now it, it's more of a feeling kind of thing. When somebody says something, I can, I can almost feel it hit my body. Like it's a truth, you know, just like a thump, uh, a statement of truth. Uh, will will affect me that way. But before, early on, I had to, I had to have a lot of integration time to go. Well, how, but does that match up with what it says in this book or that book or where I w was taught this or what the steps say or what the principles in the Bible are or, you know. And and so I think that the integration permission, giving ourselves permission to take this time and space we need to grow is essential. And you know, there are some some other sayings that um, give kind of a counter message, like you works if you work it. You know, that that one when I us workaholics can take that on <laughs> and go, oh yeah, I gotta work it, gotta work it. You know, well we have not surrendered and we're still trying to force it if that's the attitude that we take. And so in surrender and allowing, I find the peace that I'm seeking. Yeah, I think that that I know it's true that for me, that integration time that you're talking about require, I can't do that um, in the midst of other activities. I have to have, and maybe it's because I'm an introvert and maybe an extrovert would process it differently. But I know for me, I have to have that uh, unstructured time, that, that time set aside, that time to come apart for a while, if you will, in order to do that, because that process that you use the word integration so well to describe 
um, is for me something that just sort of happens in many ways below the level of my consciousness. You know, it's, it's, it's my mind uh, can work with these things when I'm not even aware of it. So my subconscious mind and, uh, you know, make connections and, and integrate and find new ways of seeing. Um, but I have to have quiet time in order to do it. And I have found that um, my ability to use any of these techniques we're talking about, I'm just going to call it meditation as a category, my ability to use uh, meditation or for my meditation practice to allow me to get to that centered and grounded, that peaceful space, if you will, has gotten a lot better over time, you know, one step at a time. But even now, there are circumstances where I cannot recall that ability. Um, if I'm particularly wound up about something, there may be a period of time, maybe a few hours, where it that has seemingly all evaporated and gone out the window. It's all become a nice idea that I remember hearing about at some point. But inevitably, I will cycle out of that space. And I find that most of the time, I can very quickly uh, bring myself to center with just a few breaths, um, uh, a, a change of intention, a change of attention uh, with my mind. And um, it has become uh, an important part of my experience um, moving ahead. It's just, I'm great. I'm so grateful for it. And I guess what I want to say is I've had to build it one little piece at a time. And even now, it's not 100% there. Well, I'm not sure I know anybody who would claim 100%. <laughs> you know, I found an app uh, for the phone, and it's just called Breathe. And I put it on the phone because at random times, you know, I'm at work, and I have the phone open, and it's sitting there in front of me by my desk. And, and at random times throughout the day, and you don't get to set the timing. It just shows a little, a little um, image on the screen and says, Breathe. And it's, I am amazed at how many times I wasn't thinking about breathing when that pops oh, yeah. up and I go, oh, okay, got to take a deep breath, you know, cause I haven't been doing that. And it is amazing how centering just taking a breath can be. Absolutely. And when I, when I talk about not doing it a hundred percent, I don't mean not in the practice hundred percent. I mean that the practice is even available to me. <laughs> it's not all the time. It's, it's a decent amount of the time. And I'm so very, so very grateful uh, for the experience. But now as we like to do each show, we like to move into action. And as an important part of our recovery path, we need to move from the problem to the solution to into action. Uh, Unity's fifth principle even states it's not enough to know these truths, we must live them. That means we must each do something in order to grow in recovery. So here's something that you, if you're listening, here's something you can do this week to move from that frantic energy uh, to a state of peace and focus using an affirmation of the truth of who we are. So think of something that embodies this kind of frantic or anxious energy for you. Maybe you've got bills to pay, or you might feel a need to fix everything right now, or 
maybe you're always looking for what can go wrong. The trick is to pick one thing and to take it into a quiet time of prayer and meditation to simply relax and take it easy. No need to struggle. As an example, let's use a general fear of things going wrong. I know that that's something I have carried. So one of the things I like to do is take a deep breath and then use a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial. And this denial denies any power to that fear. It doesn't take away the fear, but it removes the power from the fear. You could say something like, this experience of anxiety is not the truth of who I am. Repeat it a few times in your head or even say it aloud and say it with conviction. This experience of anxiety is not the truth of who I am. And we follow that up immediately with a bold, positive affirmation of a new experience. So, for example, I could say, the peace of God lives within me, and that peace is my true nature. And so then we take a few moments and just relax. Just take it easy. Just continue to breathe. There's no need to struggle. We give thanks for our new experience in the world and then move on with your day. So again, this experience of anxiety is not the truth of who I am. The peace of God lives within me, and that peace is my true nature. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope that you found something to help you on your recovery path, and we both bless you on your journey. Thank you, listeners and callers, and thank you so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for the insights shared in our discussion today. And listeners, if you'd like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. I'm Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.